Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there. Hello, hello to you today. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Burt Not Ernie Show. Today, we're going to look at a really amazing, just an awesome verse from the Old Testament book of Esther. Uh, We're also going to look at a verse from the New Testament book of Acts as well. So, you know, the Bible tells us that we are to be doing the work of spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. And today I'm just hopeful that this podcast is going to do a little bit of that or hopefully a whole lot of that. It is so important, like very, very important for you to know that you are not a mistake. You are not here by accident. A very intentional very good God. He's so intentional and he loves you so incredibly much. He created you. He has a purpose for you, for your life, for all of your days upon this earth. And so today, that's what we're going to chat about. You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show podcast, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app. This is episode number 112. All right, so here we are. It is the summer of 2022, and we're taking a look at the book of Esther. Specifically, we're going to be in chapter 4 in verse 14, Esther 4.14. This has just been on my mind. And, you know, you probably know this verse, Esther 4.14. Once I say it, um, at least the second half of this verse, kind of part B of Esther 4.14, because it's on artwork, um, it's social media posts, on t-shirts, it's it's kind of like Johnny Cash. It's been everywhere, you know, like it is, it's so encouraging. That's why it's been everywhere, this verse. But before I get to Esther 4.14, I want to share with you another verse from the book of Acts that I think really does go hand in glove with Esther 4.14. One of the things that it's really important to do as a, um, oh, you can call it like a kitchen table theologian, if you will, somebody who really uh, studies the word of God, right? You you want to prove the word of God by the word of God. And so if I can find something in the word of God, like Esther 4.14, and then find something else, Acts 17.26, that corresponds with it, uh, that's going to help me grow. And that's going to help me to do a better job of spraying other people on toward love and, and good deeds. So be a kitchen table theologian. And I don't mean be so full of theology that you don't love people well, that you don't actually implement anything. A kitchen table theologian actually lives it out in her life. You're not a, in a study somewhere in a, a, a monastery as a monk hidden away from the world. No, no, it's at your kitchen table. You're, that's what I mean by that. You're like living it out in real life. And it's not about the degree you have. It's about your walk with Jesus. So you and I, we can have good theology and we can live it out well before our families, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and before a lost and hurting world, in particular via social media, which is unique to our era. This is not something that other people born at a different time had access to. Okay. So all that to say, um, they go together, Esther 414 and Acts 1726. So I think first I'm going to read from Acts from the Christian Standard Bible. And it says this, 
from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Christian Standard Bible of Acts 1726. So from Adam all the way back at the very beginning, you know, that would be the one man that God made all mankind from. We're talking about Genesis, Adam and Eve, talking about Adam here. God chose our appointed times and the boundaries of where we would live. You are not an accident. You know, I've heard people say, I was born too late, or I was born in the wrong country, the wrong land. But actually, that's not possible if we really believe Acts 1726 is true. The New King James Version reads this way, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God determined that you would be living in this part of the world, whatever part of the world it is where you're living right now, God determined that and that you would be living there at this point in time. It's very precise, very exact. This It doesn't mince any words here. There's nothing hidden or tucked away and you can't really um, try to convince yourself that, oh, but I was born too late. I meant, was meant to be. No, you weren't. You're meant to be born right now. Now, God may have you born in one land and may call you to live in another land temporarily or permanently. He may call you to be a world traveler for um, the sake of the gospel. That's very possible. But where you were born is not a mistake. And the time you were born is not a mistake. And where you are right now, so long as you are not totally in rebellion and bucking everything that God has for your life, then you're in the spot he wants you to be. So, okay. And that sense of like, it's time to move on. That can also be the Lord. That might be changing jobs, changing neighborhoods. I mean, there's it can be going to the other side of the world to do work for the Lord. Missions type work comes to mind or humanitarian type work. These the it's not like you're born I was born in Rapid City, South Dakota, and I can never leave that place. You know, I must stay there as close to the hospital where I was born as possible. That's not what this means. It it means it's, it's just reminding you that this isn't like a whoopsie and a big mistake and random. You've got to know that God is intentional. It's so important. And if he's intentional enough with his love to send Jesus to do what he did for us, he's also intentional enough to make sure that our lives aren't wasted and that we don't feel like they're wasted because we're convincing ourselves we were born at the wrong time or in the wrong place. You weren't. Um, he determined that you would be living here. At this point in time, you were not born at the wrong time. You were not born in the wrong part of the world. The right here and the right now, this is where God has you. Y-O-U, little old you. He is perfect in all of his ways. We sing that as a worship song, but I want to encourage us to make sure we live like we believe that he is perfect in all of his ways. All means all. And God is perfect in all of his ways. Esther 4.14, I'm going to read first from the Amplified and then the New Living Translation. For if you remain silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish since you did not help when you had the chance. And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this and for this very purpose. Okay, now the New Living. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? You know, it's the second half of this verse that, um, that I intend to focus on today. But as I read it, you know, the first half is just so crucial. It's, 
it's uh, we don't want to skip over it too quickly. If you remain silent, if you keep quiet at a time like this, I'm probably not the only one that does this, especially think on um, social media, trying to not step on toes, the broad variety of people that um, that follow you or like you or friends with you, whatever the platform might be, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to just kind of try to play it safe, to not be quite as bold and direct as I should be. Now, I'm not talking about being a loud mouth. That's not, that's not biblical. I'm not talking about lipping off or mouthing off. However, it was setting your child at stop lipping off, stop mouthing off, just being uncorked all the time. No, 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 no. That's not God honoring. What I mean is when I know the Lord is leading me to maybe write something, I'm, I'm a wordy kind of a person. I'm a word girl to write something, to write a certain post, uh, probably about things that might be a little bit uh, tense or harder to talk about because uh, who wants to be the person that's seen as stirring the pot? You know, you can, I can tell myself that. I'm not going to say you, I'm going to say me, I'm going to talk about me. I can tell myself, oh, try to just pretty that up a little bit and appeal to more people. Maybe more people will read it. Maybe you'll reach more people. I, you know, here's the thing. I know better. I know better. It doesn't mean you never try to be gentle you know, I know one of the things that Lord has put on my heart is to write gentle because then freedom and favor and healing and the Lord's deliverance and blessing can come in if you write gentle. So I do try to write gently. I don't always speak on the podcast um, as, as gently or in other formats when I'm speaking at a conference, maybe. I may not sound as gentle. I, I get very uh, passionate about the word of God. And I think that's because I feel like time is short. And I don't want anybody to miss it. And I don't want anybody to think I'm uh, light the loafer, so to speak, or flippant about the word of God. No, it is the most important thing um, to rightly divide the word of truth, right? So, but when I write, I write gently. God didn't say, Jan, speak gently. He said, write gently, write with gentleness. So, but that doesn't mean I can't be direct. Here's the thing. Here's what I want to get at with this, where, where this connects with the Acts verse. Like you, if you were born in the time that God specifically chose and in the location of the world that God specifically chose, is it possible that your unique temperament is a part of God's plan for this time and this place in the world where you are and the people that only you can reach? Here's what I mean by that. We, when we come to Christ, we yield to him. And it is a one-time yielding and repentance of our sins and then a continual process of yielding and yielding, giving the right away to, right? I mean, we want to keep short accounts with God. If I have some kind of a massive freak out, I need to be willing to be a repentant person. That's important. I don't, when I say my temperament, um, the flesh is no good. It does not have in mind the things of eternity. It's not going with me into eternity. And so it's going to be screaming and demanding its own way. That is to be crucified. The word of God says, crucify the flesh. It doesn't say, um, wait for Jesus to do all the, you know, I mean, like, like the Holy Spirit's going to get done what he wants to get done. And we live our lives in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are weak, then we are strong because it's his strength working in and through us. But you need, you and I, we have to make the decision to be willing to crucify the flesh. Like when he says, don't do that, just don't do it. That's part of crucifying the flesh that don't willfully run and engage in sinful behaviors. Don't go back as a dog returns to his vomit, says Proverbs. So a man returns to his folly or sin. Don't go back to what God has delivered you from. We don't go back and eat our own vomit. That's 
we don't like it when dogs do that for a reason. And the word of God tells us that's kind of how we behave sometimes when we go back to things he has delivered us from. It's not right. We know it's not right. Don't do that. Crucify the flesh and its sinful desires. Okay, so that's not the same as being sanctified. My temperament is a little different than yours. You have a life story, life experiences, and and a walk with Jesus. And then the parts of you that he put in you that are unique to you. And we're all fearfully and wonderfully made and so unique, says Psalm 139. It's a beautiful testimony to uh, the power and the goodness of our God. Who can I reach with just my right temperament combined with just my right story, um, combined with always and ideally to uh, by yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting God lead because he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all, right? So I can reach somebody that you probably can't reach. So sometimes in culture, the church, the overarching big C, overall church, the message can seem to be just all act the same way. Handle this the same way. You're doing it wrong. Um, what if we're not doing it wrong? What if you know, we don't want to, like, you know, Paul, when he talks about the body of Christ and he relates it to the body, we're not all eyeballs. So maybe we don't want to send out this message to the church of just be an eyeball. What if there's somebody that I could reach through my story by not just being an eyeball, but by being like a, I don't know, whatever, um, an eyelash instead. I'm just grabbing, thinking of there's so many different parts of the body. You know, we don't want to be like the heart isn't beating anymore because we're trying to make everybody be an eyeball and nobody is really being effective or reaching the people that God made them to reach. There are people um, let me go back. Let me say this another way. I'm going to give an account for what God, the, the works that were preordained and preplanned for me to do. He's not going to ask me if I made sure to run around and find every need and fill it. He's not going to ask me if I tried to make myself an eyeball when I know I was supposed to be a thumb. He's going to say, what works did you do as a thumb that I wanted you to do? We, we have to understand that our accounting is not going to be for I'm not going to be able to point at something and say, yeah, but remember when I did this? He's going to say, I didn't say go find a random need and fill it. I didn't say that. I had a plan for you and your life that you were uniquely created to fulfill that would reach the most people through your life. Like that's, that's what I want. That's what I want. That, and I get what I want because I am the Lord before whom every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, right? So but that that's how it's going to be with me talking to Jesus. And I hope I'm not being too blunt with that. But if you don't believe me, you need to get in the New Testament and look up some verses and read about, even just open Revelation and read the letters to the churches, what Jesus is saying to the churches at that time. It's pretty incredible. Like, I mean, we need to not dance around the fact that we're going to give an accounting. He takes seriously the call he puts on our life. He just does. Even read the Gospels and see how Jesus dealt with those who were his disciples. He does not, he didn't play then. He's not playing now. He's not going to play on the day we give an accounting. So it's okay if you're a thumb. You need to know that. Be the thumb God made you to be. Don't be, don't be a loudmouth bully about it, but be who God made you to be because you just don't know who you might reach. I've had so many people um, I've heard recently people talking about, well, this is what ministered to me. And this is, what, well, great. Then you maybe have a really good opportunity to minister in the same way to other people. But for me, it was a level of, of frankness. The Lord was so clear with me and so frank with me and so blunt with me. Like that's because of my life, my 
my childhood, my temperament, my experiences, that's what my salvation experience was. It wasn't a gentle warming up. It was like, hey, you need to listen now. You know, I didn't have a lot of um, gentle, kind experiences in my in my growing up years, to put it mildly, and it wouldn't have moved my needle to be all of a sudden having the God of the universe like gently playing around with my life of sin. He spoke to me in a way through his Holy Spirit that would reach me. And now there are people I believe I can reach by being who God made me to be. Your temperament when yielded to the Lord is a very, very powerful part of your testimony. And how do we overcome the evil one? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So, okay. Sometimes I try to pretty things up, kind of keep it comfortable, appeal to the masses, not offend anybody. Oh my goodness, when you're following Jesus, people are going to get offended. It's going to happen. Yield your temperament to him and then do what he's calling you to do. Um, You know, like if the Bible says this, that's what I need to talk about and share, right? What it says is what it says. Truth is truth and it doesn't vacillate or change. When I'm fighting against that, then I kind of do what this verse in Esther talks about. I keep quiet and I don't let the Lord work his deliverance through me. And what if there's somebody he wants to work a supernatural deliverance through by you being the you that only you can be? It's a beautiful opportunity that we don't want to miss. If I'm trying to remain silent, if you keep quiet at a time like this, if you remain silent, in this moment, if I try to stay silent in a way, you know, in, in some manner, and we can be staying silent when we try to pretty up the thing that we post or, well, I, I believe this is a really good thing, but I'm just not going to say anything about it. I'm going to keep quiet. Sometimes saying nothing is saying a lot. People are watching and they want to know, do you really believe what you say you believe? I've been following your, 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 I love Jesus, your Christian post for a long time. I've been watching you. Do you really believe it? Are you willing Are you willing to say that you believe it when the flack you're going to catch is more than ever at any other time in your life? People are watching and some people are going to respond positively. Yeah, you're going to get the negative. In this world, you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Take heart, Jesus said. But some people might respond. Don't miss your opportunity. When when he's leading us and we stay silent. When we just don't really address the elephant in the room, the elephant that he's calling us to address in the room, when it's so vaguely handled that it's not even really clear what you're talking about. You've seen those posts where you're like, I think they might be talking about this, but I don't really know for sure. They're keeping it so vague. Ooh, this is, I don't really know. Um, That's not, oh, I don't know that that's right, guys. I just don't know that that's right. I really don't. And there is a right and there is a wrong per the word of God, you know, and so, um, Let's let's not try so hard to get people on our side and let's not try so hard to get God on our side. Let's take our own selves over to the side of God and stand there on solid ground. On Christ, the solid rock, we want to stand, right? Because everything else is sinking sand. Knowing the will of God should not be akin to nailing jello to the wall. And when we present the will of God to people, we don't want to make it seem as clear as mud, right? It's not nailing jello to the wall and it's not trying to see clearly through mud. No, 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 no. God's word is very specific and clear. And there are people that need to hear it. People in your world that can really only hear it from you. Your unique voice has a place in this world. That's an important thing for you to know. 
if you're being overly silenced when it comes to talking about Jesus and all of its facets, his love for the world, his mercy, his grace, and also his justice and the fact that he is Lord of all. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. There, There is an ending to this world. And we know the ending if we've read the book. We know how it ends in Revelation. Um, don't be overly silenced about those things because uh, that's kind of heartbreaking. You know, it really is. If God has stated something clearly in the Bible, in his book, in his word, and it's his word, then that's as clear as it needs to be. If it's clearly stated there, it's clear, period. Um, I can handle it well what I read in the pages of my Bible and I share it with others. I, I do have to be loving and gracious and led by the Spirit of God. That's 100% biblical. But I cannot refuse to do what God says to do and then say, well, my refusal is because I'm trying to be loving and gracious. That's not how this works. Handle the word of God well. Be loving and gracious. Be led by the Spirit of God. But don't refuse to do what he's telling you to do and then say that the only reason you're refusing is so that you can be more loving and gracious. No, truth and love, justice and mercy, these things that are mentioned side by side in the Bible, truth and love, justice and mercy, they go together. If God is urging you or me to talk about something in this moment, because this moment is not going to happen again, this is the moment. If he's saying talk about it, because this is the era in which you and I are alive, and I don't do it, and you don't do that, man, you know, he can just as easily work his will out through somebody else, as it says in Esther 4.14. It's crystal clear in this verse, um, but it's not like said in a pretty happy way, and you just go your own way and live your own life, and everything's going to be fine. Uh, there's a heaviness that comes when Mordecai is saying these words to Esther about doing the very hard, very dangerous, very scary, uh, very overwhelming task for a young girl a young woman her age in her position, in her situation, in her status, in her station in life. Yeah, it's crystal clear in this verse. Doesn't matter if it seems scary. If God says to do it, we got to do it. You got to do it. Otherwise, it's not happy consequences. It's not like God is going to, gonna, you know, give you a Daniel Webster cigar and pat you on the back. He's not. Do what he says to do or ouch, ouch, things come about when we don't do what God said to do. Stop dodging the hard things that he's asking me to do. That's me preaching to myself. Maybe you need to stop dodging some hard thing he's asked you to do. I've heard it said that God is not sentimental. And we, his creation, we are often so sentimental. He is more willing to move on, move on from Saul and raise up a David. And we're like hanging on to Saul and God's moved on. That's convicting. And it's convicting because it's true. Look, I'm not convicted of things that aren't true. That's not how conviction works, right? Uh, we may be hanging on to a Saul when God has moved on and is raising up a David and not be willing to move on with God. If that convicts you, pray about it and ask God what, what he's saying to you. What is he saying to you? It's, it, Revelation says, what is, here's what the Spirit says to the churches. Like We can ask, Holy Spirit, speak to us as part of the church today in 2022. Speak to us. And I believe that he will. Who knows if perhaps you were made the person that you are for just such a time as this. Esther was made queen for just such a time as this and for this very purpose. Who knows? Who knows? I'll tell you who knows. Our God knows. Those two sentences. Who knows that perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this and for this very purpose. Those two questions, sentences, statements, they moved Esther to action and everything changed as a result of her movement to action. 
you may be the one to say the words that spur somebody on today to the greatest action of their life. You might also be the one who takes action that changes things for, you know, like in the case of Esther, an entire nation. Does any of this sound at all like our culture in the United States today? It surely absolutely does. So what's your role? What's your role? Is your role to speak with boldness on issues that are going to move somebody else to do the scary but right thing? Scary but hard but right thing? The scariest thing to do may be the most right thing to do, the rightest thing to do. Or do you need to be the one to be encouraged by somebody else's words? And out of that encouragement is going to be born such bravery. Your actions are going to impact others far beyond just your own little itty bitty, think small part of the world. It can go bigger than that with that ripple effect. We're not here at this moment in time by accident. This is not by chance. God does not do random. We need to know that God is involved in the details and the specifics of our lives. And and he is well aware of what's going on, what's taking place, what's shaping up in the places where we live. He knows that there are things that are difficult and, uh, you know, to quote um, Gollum, Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, tricksy. Things are tricksy, right? Not tricky, tricksy. Um, are we praying about our role in this world right now? Are we praying and asking God to just bless us in this world? Are we saying just just in this economy, it's tough. Just uh, I could use a raise and stretch the dollar farther and show me how to, you know, bless me and take care of me and, and show me what to do and, and uh, I need help. Okay, you can pray about those things, but are you also saying, Lord, what's my role right now in this world? I trust you for your provision because you're Jehovah Jireh. It's literally your name. You're not going to not provide for me. Uh, I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to tithe. Malachi 310, I'm going to, you know, Jesus said, for, I didn't want you to forsake the, to do the one and forsake the other one talking about tithes. Some people say, you don't have to tithe for the New Testament. Well, uh, Jesus didn't really quite say that, did he? He said, I want you to do the one and the other. I didn't say to forsake the one and do the other. Talking about tithing, you can look it up. Okay, look, do that. Trust him with your provision and ask him, what do you want me to do in this world? What's my role? You know, it's, it's not wrong to ask him to bless us because he loves to do that. His word is so super duper clear on that. But are we asking how we can bless others and honor him in our current culture? Taking a hard stand based on God's word, it can be tough, but doing it in a way that's vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to let people see who you really are. Uh, yeah, that's part of why it can be hard, right? But man, that vulnerability, that authenticity, it moves people. It connects with people. And it's respectable in ways that cleaning up the outside and of the cup and having the shiny veneer on the whitewashed tomb does not give people a sense of authenticity that draws them to the Lord. We have the New Testament as our guide for how to do the hard stuff of ministry. And as disciples, we're commissioned. We're not asked if we feel like it, if we get around to it, maybe sometime before we leave this planet, could we maybe sort of do what God, you know, what Jesus told us to do and some of his very last words to us. No, there is no maybe. That's not what it means to be commissioned. We are under orders. We are not our own bosses of our lives anymore. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ Jesus. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. And that price is the, was the precious blood of Jesus. He has the right of way in our lives. We are to do the work of yielding to him. So he put us here at this time in this country. 
And here we go. You ready? I know this is going to be a longer episode today, and that's all right. Break it up in your listening time if you need to, but um, here we go. It's about to get real. You ready to get real? I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. The stuff that's going on in our world right now, in my country, the United States of America, uh, it's specifically the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. That's what's happening right now. Would you be willing to pray about this exact moment in time? What's happening now? What's happening in the coming months? Pray about what what does the Lord want you to do? Not you to point to other people to do, not you to to say, well, um, such and such and so and so said or didn't say. You got to pray about what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? This is what's happening now. This is the moment in time. It's not my place to tell you what to do. That's not lining up with you yielding to the Lord. That's me being the boss of you. That's not my place. But the Lord, he did put it on my heart to cover this subject on the podcast. I would encourage you to pray and say, Lord, anything you want me to do? Anything you want me to do here? I'm going to share now some of my personal testimony. Okay. And um, this is getting really vulnerable and real. My people that have known me for a long time already know this kind of stuff. People that only know me from the uh, the the Christian world, so to speak, they don't have a clue about this. So here we go. You ready? This may surprise some of you. It also is going to give you a little bit of insight as to um, why I'm talking on this subject today. Here goes. I was very, 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 very liberal, like intensely, almost not in my right mind, liberal. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised by a single mom who was an extreme feminist. It was very, very important to her that her daughters, she had two daughters, that they be feminists too. Now, I have sisters on my dad's side, half sisters. So, but as far as like it, through the line of my mom, I, me and my sister, they're two girls, four boys. She wanted her girls to be feminists too. It was really important. She thought that was going to help us to protect us from just some of the hard stuff that she endured. Uh, and honestly, she did endure a lot, but also honestly, she was very rebellious against her parents. She did not want to follow them in their walk with Jesus. Now, everything I'm saying here, all six of us siblings would agree with everything that I just said. There's nothing there that would be like, oh, I don't know you'd say that. That's just who mom was. That's straight up who she was. That's not me dishonoring my mom. So I don't want anybody to think that that's what I'm doing. I am not. I'm just telling you that's who she was. And she would have told you straight up. Yep. You know, she would have probably thrown in some language in there when she would have told you those things. Like, I mean, she just did. She would, she would, she would just say things like you and your conservative ways, Jan, after I became a Christian, you're just trying to take us women back to the caveman days where we're being drug around by our hair. Like she would tell you that's who she was. Okay. So, um, my husband and I, we live in Wichita, Kansas. And way back in the early 90s, there was something here that happened in the city that was known as the Summer of Mercy. Uh, you may have heard of it. You may not have. Wichita was, for quite a long time, the abortion capital. I'm pretty sure the abortion capital of the world. Think about that. And that summer, there were protests here in the Summer of Mercy. They were intense. And it was all summer long. Like the main road, Kellogg 54, um, the highway through the middle of town, uh, They these protesters, they just had it blocked. Like you couldn't drive. It was all summer. One day we're driving my car, my 1998 baby blue Chevy Beretta, my car, my husband, he's in the passenger seat. He, we're driving, crawling through these protests and things. He leaned over and he tapped the horn in support of these protesters, just pro-life people, protesters. I'm telling you what, 
Now, remember, I said I was liberal. I went off. I went off. I was telling my daughter last night that like the the way that I was and the intensity that I lived under, my kids have always said I have a pee your pants voice when they were little. They would say, mom, don't. If I you know, saw something happening down the hall, needed to get kids' attentions when I was running uh, children's ministry or something, they would say, uh, maybe a little bit like that's your pee your pants voice. Don't, don't do that. Maybe don't use that. I'm like, oh, wow, that didn't, that wasn't even my firmest voice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we know mom, but still just don't use that voice. Okay. So uh, that's nothing compared to who I was before Jesus. I went off. I mean, I really went off. We were on the opposite side of the city from our apartment where we lived. Uh, and I'm telling you what, I very nearly threw him out of the car and just freaking left him there. Like I was enraged. I was in a fury. How dare he Use my horn in my car that I paid for to support something that I, an absolutely extreme feminist who is so pro-choice, like, I mean, uh, it was is a long rest of the day. Let me put it that way, because I meant it. I meant it. Okay, fast forward about a year and a half later, just 18 months later, the Lord had been working on my heart. And as I um, may mentioned earlier in this episode, um, I had a rough, I, I, I was a little rough around the edges, um, had some rough experiences in my growing up years. I did not grow up spoiled and privileged. I've had people say to me, you only believe in Jesus because you were raised so spoiled and in the church. And I just have to laugh and say that right there is hilarious and is a testimony to what only God can do because I was not raised in the church and I was not raised rich and spoiled. Uh, that is a thousand percent wrong. So, um, you know, in those 18 months, he was directly dealing with me. Not gently, that's not talking about uh, beds of roses and light and flowery and fluffy stuff. No, no, he would just speak into me, okay? So, um, yeah, I mean, it was 18 months of God working on my heart, doing all kinds of things. That's another story for another day, or a lot of stories. I mean, there's a, I was very hard-hearted, really dug in. Um, it wasn't just like, uh, bam, all of a sudden I saw the light. No, I was a mess, and God was so good. Um, I was way too hard for one moment in time and one little genteel conversation over tea to impact me. God was direct with me because that's what was going to break through my very, very, very hard heart. So about 18 months or so later, um, living in a different apartment at that time from the one when I was going to throw my husband out the car, I was watching a TV preacher. And at the end of that, I just got down on my knees and I prayed for forgiveness for all my sins. I really wanted to be forgiven. I mean, I didn't want to choose my way anymore. I was in my early 20s. I didn't want none of that anymore. I chose Jesus, and I surely did mean it when I made him Lord of all my life, received his forgiveness, uh, repented, received his forgiveness, and was just restored to new life. I fully, and I'm talking about 10,000% fully yielded the right of way to him when I prayed that day. As soon as I finished that prayer, and I'm talking about as soon as I said amen, there was a total 180 degree turnaround in my thinking. I'm not kidding you. I said, amen. I opened my eyes. I stood up and I never thought the same again. It was absolutely astounding. And one of the biggest things that instantly changed, like, I mean, I instantly thought differently on so many issues, but one of the biggest ones was this exact issue, a woman's quote unquote right to choose. All those years of being so dug in, so hard hearted, literally vanished in one split second. And my thinking on life and the unborn changed. The old, it was gone forever. People who knew me then, they were uh, shocked to say the least. Like I was so different and so instantly the way that I thought, the way that I spoke, 
And of course, subsequently, the way that I live, because the way that you think is how you live, right? Every big and every little thing was impacted. I had people tell me that they knew God was real because how else could a person change so dramatically, so instantly? And it was real and lasting. I just knew in that moment how my thinking on this issue, it had been so far off from the way that God sees life, the way that God values the unborn, the way that God values women in difficult situations with pregnancies, the way that God so much knows how hard it is when you feel like you have to fight and protect yourself because nobody else is doing it. Don't take away my rights. I've got to have something here because I'm going to get just so screwed over in this world. Nobody's got my back. For me to be able to see God has your back. God has so much love, not just for that child, but also for every woman who's ever found herself in, a, in that situation that is so scary and so overwhelming. I understood also what child sacrifice actually is, how it breaks his heart, how, how just impactful it is for the mother and the child and all of the fathers too. Even if you don't realize that, that's still the truth. I've never had hate toward women in this position. And that's another sign that God did a powerful transformative work in my life because I had a lot of hate for people who thought the other way before I met Jesus. And then I just didn't have hate anymore for either side. I just don't. I just, it's not there. That's a sign of God's work. Uh, But I have had grief and I have prayed so much over this really heartbreaking evil. And it is an evil. It is an evil. You know, you may never listen to me again because I just said that abortion is evil. I did not say that women who have had abortions are evil. I did not say that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. The act itself, it does so much damage. If you know a woman who's been hurt by abortion, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I did not say that women who've had abortions are not able to be forgiven. Are you kidding me? That would be the stupidest thing on the whole world. Like, to, I, I don't believe that. That's not true. But the actual act of abortion, of child sacrifice, of tearing a baby limb from limb is truly evil. God did not so totally and instantly change my mind because this is just no big deal. My, uh, that's not how it works when God does a total 180 in the way that you've thought about something uh, that's been like a focus of your life to be like an extreme feminist. And then the boom, I am actually not the scales fell from my eyes. I saw clearly I'm not that anymore. Like God doesn't do that kind of change because eh, that's no big deal. He can think whatever you want. Why did he change my thinking so dramatically if we could just think whatever we want? My mind, my thinking changed because God changed it. And I am not a one-off. What God thinks on a matter is really the end of the matter. And when we ask him to change our thinking so that we follow him as his disciples, you know, we're followers. We're not the leaders. We're the followers. When that kind of change happens, it's because God made it happen. I could not have changed myself. The Lord did it. That's my personal change of heart about this very relevant right now in June of 2022 issue. I have prayed so much for the unborn, for the women in this country who um, have been so hurt. They have gone through such difficult times. Those who've been wounded as a result of the way that the church, Jesus's church has handled things. He would have us to be a safe haven and a place of hope and healing for them. Yes, I have prayed and I have prayed. And a few days ago, I stood in awe. My jaw jaw hit the floor when I heard that this was overturned, even though it had already been leaked that it was probably going to be. I was in awe. I I can't even describe to you how I felt. 
that there's a song that says, I stand amazed. I stood amazed. Not everyone feels like this is a hopeful moment. I get it. But you know what? It's still a hopeful moment. Whether we feel like that or not, it is. Keep it hopeful for those who need hope. Church, listen to me. This is a hopeful moment in time that God has given us. Keep it hopeful for those who need hope. Those of us who know Jesus, uh, you know, you're allowed to rejoice and thank God for this miraculous change. I'm going to tell you what, I have seen far too much of the, oh, settle down there. Don't be rejoicing. Don't be showboating. No, no, no. Publicly thanking God is not showboating. And shame on anybody who says that. And I might be getting a little bit out of my depth here and you might be personally offended. Well, Jesus was, was pretty offensive. He was pretty offensive. He even sent word to John the Baptist. Are you offended at me? You bet. You better check that now. You get, you're going to take offense at me? Seriously? No, he was offensive a lot. If you're offended, you need to figure out how to pray about that. I'm talking to Christians right now. If you don't know Jesus, that's not the same kind of offense. If you know Jesus and you're offended by people who are rejoicing, as in thanking God for this miracle, you need to stop telling the church to stop thanking God. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right, okay? This kind of thing does not just happen. It doesn't happen, and it did happen. In the 49th year, it happened. And what's the 50th year, according to the Bible? The year of Jubilee, when the bonds and the chains are undone. We are to be thanking God for what he has done and is doing and will do. It is right to rejoice. So church, don't not rejoice because somebody in some type of Christian authority position said don't rejoice. I'm telling you what, you want to take umbrage at this? Take it, but take you better take it to the throne of grace first before you come at me because I know who my defender is and I just shared with you my testimony. So um, God's not a respecter of persons. He's not. I will not take offense at what he has done. I will thank him. You know, when Jesus healed the 10 lepers and one came back, what did he say? He didn't say, thank you for coming back. He didn't say, oh, stop rejoicing and thanking me. Stop being thankful. He said, "Uh, did I not heal 10? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine at? What in the world? Seriously, they went away healed and just went away healed and didn't thank him for it. I'm going to thank him for this. I'm going to thank him for this. And at the same time, I'm going to say, let's keep this hopeful. People need hope. Church, let's keep this hopeful. This is a hopeful moment in time. You and I, we are not here by chance. Ask him what you ought to be doing in this moment in time. He may well have something for you to do that's going to reveal his love and that hope to those who need it so much right now. I know I'm passionate about this today, but that's because this is too important to not get passionate about. Rejoice, keep it hopeful, and do what God's telling you to do. Thank you so much for listening today, and thank you for praying over this issue. I'm assuming that you're going to pray and ask God what you're to do. Our nation needs to be covered in prayer right now. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need more and more of Jesus in America right now. All right, that's all for today. Heavy episode today, but timely and important. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day, and remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.